Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is! Adam Scott! A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to episode 29 of Inside the Ropes, getting towards the end of 2017. We started way back when, and certainly from a domestic perspective, our highlight weekend has probably come and gone. There's still a lot of golf to be played in Australia over the summer, but what a fortnight it has been. I'm sure that's going to be front and centre on the program on the way through today. Ryan Ruffles going to join us on the show as well. One of our very special early guests on the podcast going to join us as we wrap up uh, what's been a big 2017. Couldn't have done it without Mark Hayes, who is absolutely heroic uh, down at Curlewis Golf Club on Monday, walking 38.2 kilometres, playing 72 holes to raise money for melanoma treatment as part of the longest day, Cancer Council of Victoria. It was an honour to be in your presence on that day, Hazy. Ditto, Andy. I, it was uh, nerve-wracking. I was actually really nervous before we started, uh, legitimately, but as we got going, um, it was it was fascinating and a great experience, as you predicted it mm. would be. Um, you know, very fulfilling to to knock in the last putt. And uh, to be honest, I'd played thirty six a few times in my life, and always sort of tend to get tired around twenty nine, thirty, thirty one. Yeah. Didn't feel that at all, to be honest. And and it was only in the last three or four holes where my game sort of started to wobble a little bit, um, which probably shows you that it's a mental thing rather than a physical thing. It's mm. a really good challenge, and I was a bit wobbly on Monday night afterwards, but. I bounced back really well. I don't know about you. Oh, no, I was in pain the next day. I felt like I was 105. I really did. I was uh, exhausted. It's tiring. But uh, it's kind of fitting that the bloke sitting alongside you is here today because he and his mob are doing a bit of work down at Kerr Lewis, which if you have never been down the Ballerone Peninsula and played on the golf course, it's well worth a trip. It's a very, very challenging, competitive, fun golf course to play. And a golf club, we should mention this on the way through before we start talking business of the day, it's a great golf club to go and visit. Mike Clayton joins us again. Um, it's a good golf course. It's it is getting, good. It's getting better and better. It's getting better. Mm. Yeah, they've still got that one shocking hole, the six, which is about mm-hmm. to be repaired. But the rest of it's pretty solid. We've done you know, tw- not big amounts of work. We've moved a few tees and re- recut a few bunkers, filled some in. So it's taken some trees out, which have helped it. But you know, it's, it, it, it's a good golf course. It's amazing to see the aesthetic differences the removal of some bunkers have had mm. uh, and some smoothing of previously sort of mounded areas and, and the eradication of a lot of pointless rough. And mm. now it's got this just beautiful, I think it's Cooch Clates, isn't it? Yeah. Cooch coverage and rolling uh, land between greens and, t- greens and the next tee sort of connecting. It just looks beautiful and it's only getting better. And huge thanks to Brendan Caligari and all the crew down there. <clears throat> the hospitality was first class. It was worth doing just for that. No doubt. Um, yeah. I mean, the worst bunkers are the bunkers that only affect bad players but don't make the game more interesting for them. So the bunker on the first at Metro, I've never been in it, but it affects, you know, my old mate Peter Hurst, who's 80, who can't hit it very far anymore. It's right in, it's right in play for him, but it makes the hole much more interesting for him. 
and the bunk at the front of the fifth of Metro makes the game interesting. I've, again, I've never been in it, but it makes the game more interesting for players who, you know, when that bunk is in play for them. But there were some bunkers at Curlewis that did neither. They, they neither made it more interesting or made it better. They were just kind of, they caught the bad shots of bad players. I feel like I'm going to bowl up a half volley outside of stump for you here to just crash through covers and smash into the pickets yeah. for four. But it, it never said, and this is probably a message to golf course managers and potential golf course designers down there, that when you plant a tree as a little sapling, imagine what it's going to look like and imagine what it's going to do to the hole in 20 or 30 years' time when it grows into a dirty big tree because there's some, you talk about the sixth. I mean, that, the, that hole, I don't know whether it was a good hole when they first designed it, but it's now a ridiculous hole because of the size of the trees down on the left for your second shot. I mean, it's you've got to be very careful when you start planting trees on golf courses because they are going to grow into big things. Yeah, it was probably... Well, the problem is that with the whole dog legs are about 400 yards away, so it's sort of dog legs halfway up the second shot. Mm. But if there were no trees on the corner and, it, and there was a ground hazard, it would be fine. You'd be playing across a a mean hazard on the ground, but you could at least see where you were going and play where you were going. But it kind of forces you to sort of play a shot and a half to the corner or kind of snipe it around those trees. or It's just a disastrous hole, but that's fine. I mean, we fixed the, the 13th hole, the, sorry, the 12th hole, the par five around the corner that was another one smothered with trees on the corner. And you pull them out and it's just, you know, once you're asking players to go over hazards on the ground, you're not discriminating between players who can hit the ball high in the air and players who can't. Is there a good par five, this is a question without notice, is there a good par five anywhere in the world where for your third, a genuine three-shotter, it has to be obviously, Mm. where for your third shot you are routinely hitting into the green a longer club than you're playing for your second shot? Is it it a rule of thumb that it goes without saying that you can't have a good par five where that that exists? Do you know what I mean? Have I explained myself? Yeah, you, you have. Not really. I mean, the seventh at Pine Valley, if you drive in the trees, you can only pitch out to the start of the great. Oh, I'm great. talking about if you find fairway, fairway, yeah, no, like, you know. No, no, there's not. Not, not, not one single hole where, where you're hitting less of a club for your second shot than you are for your third mm. shot because you're jammed into a corner like that. Mm. Mm. I did that twice the other day just for the record, you know, draw into the wind, driver, five iron, three wood. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy hole. It just doesn't make any sense. But, but the course is unbelievably fun to play. It's challenging for all players. Mm. Um, and can I just re-emphasize the entire staff, mm. Brendan in particular, they will make a, a day down at Kerr Lewis uh, just enjoyable. From the moment you drive through the gates, you play a game of golf, yeah, go and have a feed, drive out of the gates, you'll, you'll have a great time down there. So that's that. Um, and good luck to anybody who's about to embark upon the same thing in the last couple of weeks of December. It's a great thing to do and raising a lot of money for Cancer Council Victoria, which is a great thing. Uh, the two big weeks of Australian golf have come and gone. Um, you and I, I feel so validated, Hazy. <laughs> We've tried to get this hashtag golden era thing trending along the way. We get a 24-year-old and a 22-year-old winning our major Australian major championships in the men's side of the game. Um, it was fantastic. It was, for so many reasons. It would have been nice, and I'm sure Clates will uh, venture an opinion on this too in a second, but it would have been nice for Jordan Zunich yep. to be able to reap the benefits of a victory with the European Tour card, which Cam Smith arguably won't be able to take up, um, or won't want to take up, I should say. But, you know, to have two young guys stamp their authority on world-class fields, I think, is the key, not only to win the big Australian events, 
But to know that they can roll Sergio Garcia or to know they can roll Jordan Spieth and Jason Day and Adam Scott, uh, huge. And for their peers to be in the same field at the same time and, you know, realize that, you know, I can beat those cams. I've beaten them plenty of times mm. before. There they are sticking it to Spieth and to Garcia. Bugger it, I can do that. That's the big win, I reckon, for everyone. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it? I mean, it seems bizarre to think it was a pity that Cam Smith won, given he's. Exactly. Tour, given he hasn't won a tournament before, really. You know, the, obviously, the team thing in Zurich. But so it was a massive deal for him to win a tournament. But it would have been so much more useful for Jordan Zurich to have won because it would have given him a two year exemption in Europe. I mean, if Cam Smith. It seems crazy to say, but it's not going to change his career one dot winning the Australian PGA. It's, not, it's a great tournament to win. It's nice that he won it. And he fully deserved to win it. But it would have made such a massive difference to Zurich to win that, which is the problem all our Australian kids have is getting somewhere overseas to play. And, and you know, we have, you talk about two big tournaments. I mean, when we were playing 30, 35 years ago, we had 15 or 16 tournaments in which to, even though the money wasn't that big, to build up a bank to go and play overseas when we could just turn up on Mondays and play. You could turn up in Europe when I was a kid on Monday and play. You didn't even need a tour card. Mm. Go qualify. And if you made the cut, you played the next week. So in many ways, it was a much more democratic way of playing. It was a, sh- it was a shambles to organize, but <laughs> and, and you never knew if you were playing a lot. But you, know, you could, you know, a kid called like Jordan Zunick could have turned up in you know, the first week in Madrid in April on the European Tour, which is when it started, played on Monday, shot 72, 73, got in the tournament, shot 73, 73, made the cut. He's in the next week in mm. the Italian Open. He goes to the Italian Open, he shoots 73, 73, he makes the cut, goes to the next week at the French Open or wherever it was. And in if he'd played well for 10 or 15 weeks, he had his, he was made the top 60 and he was away to go the next year. Mm. It's, the path is so much more difficult now, so, which is why for him that winning winning that tournament on the Gold Coast would have been such a huge step. Yeah, that's that's the obvious, but and it's right that you mention it. But it meant you could tell it meant a lot to Cam Smith, Queensland oh, yeah. boy, to win. You know, one it meant a lot to. Oh him. yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah. I know you're saying it from a completely. Yeah, yeah, pro- I understand yeah, why you're saying yeah. what you're saying, but um, we shouldn't. No one he's begrudging Cam no, Smith for all, winning that, that yeah. tournament. You know? and, and what it reminded me of, he's he's not a flashy player. It reminded me of watching him when he won the Australian Amateur. Playing Jeff Drakeford. Drakeford was four up. He hit a wedge to the 13th at Coleman off the par five. And he drove it on the 14th green. And Cam Smith was four down. And I'm thinking, well, surely he's going to take a drive route and at least have a go at it. He took his three on out and bumped it, up the, yeah. bumped it up the fairway. He actually wedged it in the bunker and went five down. And it was just a procession really to the finish before Jeff Drakeford won, except that Drakeford started missing greens and Cam Smith kept hitting him and he shook hands. He won three and two in the end. It was, and the same sure. thing sort of happened. He just kept grinding it out without doing anything flashy. And there he was at the end. He'd beaten them all. So, so he's a, to to underrate his skills is to underrate him as a player because he's mm. very. And he, you know, watching on TV, he made a bunch of one-headed follow-throughs with his driver. And you think, God, where's that gone? And it was bouncing <laughs> the left half of the fairway. And come on, mate! I mean, there are guys who are <laughs> wishing they could hit that straight with both hands on it. So, and let's not forget, he dunked a he dunked a couple too. Mm. So you know, his score could have been better. And, I I really like Andy that both weeks that he's played in the Australian major events, he's rolled out on a Sunday in the Maroon top. Yeah, no, I think that's not accidental. No, no it's no, far not, from accidental. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he loves the Maroons. Mm. He's a huge Queensland rugby league supporter, particularly, but generally a passionate Queenslander 
first thing he mentions is Juan Timor, his old club in northern suburbs of Brisbane. He, I mean, he's he's mad for it. He, yeah. And he, he, above all others, he's the one who says, I want to come back and win a handful of Stonehaven Cups. I want to win this event. And it, it means something yeah. to him. Because yeah. I think he did, in his early amateur career, he did so much without actually getting the chocolates. Then he figured out how to win. And I think that might hopefully, anyhow, be the what happens here now. He's going to he's going to put himself. He's twenty four. He's going to put himself in the frame to win a lot of tournaments. I reckon. Where you know it's going to depend on luck and closing and other players. But I think over the next ten or fifteen years, we're going to see the name Cameron Smith on the leaderboards on Sundays a lot. I just he's because of the reasons you mentioned, Clates. He doesn't rely on. You know, a hot week necessarily to get a job done. Yeah, and I think he's the one player uh, who stands out above the other ones in terms of playing more an American style. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. He's not. Hasn't got the picture perfect swing, but he knows how to get it in the hole, Clates. And we've talked about that. Well, he's for a great ages. player. Yeah, he's yeah, a great he's hundred yeah. in is just yeah. exemplary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I reckon we'll see that really come to light in the next few years in the US. Um, yep. Any word on that? I, I want to ask you about it, both of you about Adam Scott, right? He start misses the cut. Uh, starts the year, I think, you know, official world golf ranking. And we understand he's taken time off, so that's going to affect his ranking, right? But he starts the year seventh in the world, and he finishes the year 31st. It feels like priorities for Adam Scott are changing the bigger his family gets. And, you know, only he, he – he's free to tell us, you know, how – significant a change in his outlook and his competitiveness and want to compete and grind and um, he can tell us all of that. But what what is, to you two, look into the crystal ball, what happens to Adam Scott in the big picture game of golf in the next two years? I'll, I'll tee off, Clint. Yeah, you want to tee off first? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, well, I'm not going to tee off, so you can tee off if you want to. No, I'm not going to tee off on him. I, yeah. I, I just think, I mean, he's still... You see his comments this week that, you know, my best is still ahead of me. Uh, I think he needs to put that on the table early next year because I don't think he'll want to have an extended period where he doesn't get into the winner's circle. Um, I think mentally it'll become a grind for him because he still talks as if he's physically at his peak and his best is still to come as well as his best golf. Mm. I've been of the opposite opinion for the last couple of years. Is His birth certificate says you've got to get it done soon, Adam. And I think if he doesn't start the next season well, or at least showing signs of improvement. If that, you know, dribbles into his mindset, then, you know, maybe it's an issue. But, you know, you have to believe him. He's done so much uh, and he's bounced back. He had a a pretty ordinary 2015 and had an awesome 2016 Mm. uh, that took him to number seven at the end of last year's rankings. So I think there's a lot riding on the first two or three months. He won't be back until probably Riviera or something like that. Probably, yeah. Um, So from there until, well, through May, um, is that the PGA next year, or is that coming in the PGA's year after? In May, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, yeah, the PGA is in May, I think. Next I think year. PGA, so it'll be you know players, masters, PGA, and I think that's his crucial time to strike. What are you seeing when you look at Adam Scott now, Clates? Uh, I see the same player I always saw, which is probably a great swing who can play well. And he's, I mean, he said he didn't hit the ball well in Queensland, but which is not surprising; he hasn't hardly played, but. I see a great swing that I see enduring for a long time. It uh, depends how much he wants to play, how much he wants to grind and practice. And but you know the putters, I mean, good, great ball strikers like that always rarely are great putters. He's never had to be a great putter. He's always been able to get by with just decent putting. Whereas some guys can't get by with it without putting the ball really well. He's the anti Cam Smith. 
Yeah, he doesn't. Well, he's a better wedge player than a putter, probably Smith. But he doesn't need to be a great putter to survive on the tour by any means, or or, or a great putter to win. But having said that, you've, as you showed at Augusta when he did win, you've got to make putts to win at some mm, point. But absolutely, you know, there, there were guys who had to be great putters, and I mean, Nicholas was a great putter because he didn't miss when it counted. But you know, I, I remember asking Tom Weisskopf once who the best putter was. He said, well, Nicholas was. He never missed when he when he had to. Mm. So what about Ben Crenshaw and Bob Charles? Well, they had to be great putters. And Adam doesn't have to be a great putter, which doesn't mean he doesn't have to make great putts to win tournaments. But it's not like he's relying on his putting and his, and his ball striking. His swing's always going to be there. Does he have to make a decision on the putter? Of the putter? Like the, is, or has he made the call now? Are we well, going to see him using the big No, I think that now? hopefully that smashed the long putter. He missed the <laughs> cut with it. Dumped that. So uh, he's, he's putted well enough over so many years with a short putter. Of course he has. I mean... He had a streak, obviously, and it's famous because it was a Masters, because of the Masters Championship within that. But, uh, you know, he's a good enough putter without that. He doesn't yeah. need that. Mm. And unless you're going to anchor the long putter, you're not going to putt any better with it than you are with a short putter. Correct. And, and the only two guys who are putting better with a long putter than they were before are the two guys who many people think are anchoring it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I don't know whether you're aware of it, but Tiger came back to golf. Did he? Yeah, he did. He started playing again. And Ricky... Must uh, uh, it. No one even talked about the fact that Fowler shot 11 under to win the stupid thing. Yeah. I mean, no one cares about the tournament, really. Um, but he did, and we should put that on the record, that it was clearly a hell of a round that Fowler put together to win the thing, irrespective of you know how much... And I know how you feel about the event, <laughs> Hazy. You've let us in no uncertain terms know about that. But what did we observe about Woods in terms of the way he competed? He obviously is still a bit of rust in his game. You know, the third round, when everyone was struggling, he, he particularly struggled, got a couple of birdies back late in his round, which I think was encouraging. You know, he didn't he didn't turn 40 the front into sort of 80 overall, which I think was a you know, yep. really positive thing. Um, what did you what did you make of Tiger Woods' return to competitive golf. Well, his swing looked powerful. It's that it smash, did. It had a couple of smashing two irons, 260 yards, and he drove it pretty straight. His swing looked... I mean, as Finchie said the other day, he said, there's nothing Tiger Woods is doing that... Sorry, there's nothing Jason Duffner does that Tiger Woods can't do right now. And Jason Duffner won a major a few years ago, mm. so, which was Finchie's view on whether Tiger can win a major or not. Well, Tiger can do most things that guys who win majors occasionally can do. As Hank Haney said, you, you've got to avoid three-putting, double-chipping and penalty shots. And he had, a, he had a bunch of double chips, which is still the question of mm. can he still chip the ball at Augusta off the short grass? And I guess he had a few three-putts and he, had, you know, he took, probably took a couple of penalty shots. I don't know, I'm not sure. But you know, he's got to, to eliminate that stuff if he wants to win now because he's not that much better than everyone else. So, you know, 15 years ago, he could do that stuff and still win because he was that much better. But he's clearly not that much better than Thomas or Spieth or... Ram or the, you know the guys at the top of the game now. I don't. I didn't learn much at all. Mm. I, I I agree with pretty much everything that Clayton said, except <laughs> I just don't think that anything less than seventy-one or seventy holes, probably minimum of quality golf, gets you anywhere in a tournament these days. Whereas he once could have got away with the stretch, which he never used to have, um, by the way. But now he has these holes where he just blows up, and I don't think you can do that. Jason Day proved that this year. Uh, you can't have six or nine hole stretches where you struggle and expect to win. Um, and I absolutely think that Tiger, if he's going to win another major, it will be at Augusta National where his wayward drivers aren't penalised nearly as much as they are at a US Open specifically. Um, but 
if, as also Clayton says, he can't chip well on the tightly mown fairways or around those greens with the with the swales that are out of control, uh, he's got issues. I I still can't see him winning a tour event, let alone a major. But you know, I stand to be proven yeah. wrong. No one knows. We're all guessing, but you know, it was never going to happen. But he would have been better off coming and playing the Australian Open, the Australian PGA, than fooling around the Bahamas. Can I ask you a quick go on? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, that's that stands to reason. I, and I. You know, I would go again if we could be bothered, but I just think that tournament sucks monumentally. And I'm just still really battling with coming to terms with seeing Ricky Fowler jump up a couple of rungs oh, in the it's world a, rankings. It's a joke. It's a joke what the PGA, what Fincham did for him. It's a joke that he, they gave it, you know, the kind of yeah. status that it needed to have to seemingly encourage the field that he got. I'm, I, it's, it's crazy. It's it, it, He can't stand any intellectual rigour at all. Like, it's just... It's a, he's done a mate a favour. Well, they've done the tour a favour. And the tour probably owes Tiger a favour or two. Oh, no doubt. There's no doubt it does. I mean, these guys, you know, Kepka wins the US Open and makes $2.1 million for winning it. He's not making $2 million for winning a US Open without Tiger Woods. Correct. Um, so, you know, they, they probably deserve to give him a favour, you know, do him a favour a long way. Although Eddie Pepperell put out an interesting tweet last week saying, well, I don't think Tiger's made that much difference to golf in terms of the money. He said every other sport in America has gone up by the same amount. Yeah, but is, America, is golf seen as a growth sport? It's only probably only seen as a growth sport because of Tiger. I, I mean, you could argue that because it's hypothetical, but I take Eddie Pepperell's point, and I love his contribution yeah. to the conversation of golf, but I think it's, it, it, probably, it's, it goes without too much dispute, I think, that the financial impact that Tigers had on golf. Yeah, they'd signed some, they signed some massive TV yeah, deals on the back yeah, of through TV. the 97 Masters. No yeah. and, and all those sports have had their absolute rock stars to get them to that stage too, just mm. like just like Tiger and golf. I mean, Gretzky and Lemieux, even though I hate them, Bonds and Maguire, mm. um, Jordan, yep, LeBron, yep. Uh, Manning, Brady, Favre, Brady. Brady, Brady. All the- Bonds and Maguire, <laughs> they Danny were Amendola. drunk jets, weren't they? Well, yeah. oh, that, but it was a it was kind of it was was sort of half. Was it? It, it was half allowed back in the day. Oh, it was, and yeah. I, you know, I despise Mark McGuire and, and and Barry Bonds, but you know, for in terms of putting bums on seats and yep. dollars on contracts, they did it for a long time. Coates, can I ask you a question about that tournament that Hazy hates so much? Yeah. What's the point of having an event in the Bahamas, which is one place on planet Earth I've got no interest in going? By the way, hanging around with rich people who live in a tax haven. Yeah. I don't know why anyone would want to go there for a holiday. So that just put that on the on the for whatever it's worth. But to my way to my eye, I was kinda of half interested in watching it to see what the golf course looked like as much as well, Tiger obviously, but it looked to me like that tournament could have been played in the desert. Like it there was no I didn't got no sense from watching the actual golf that wow, what a beautiful place this is. You know, ocean lined and you watch the Fiji International and you go Oh, there's the Coral Coast. That looks like a beautiful place to go, but it didn't look like a particularly beautiful place to me. I mean, didn't, didn't look like it sucked though, either, did it? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, but I know it didn't look like it sucked. But yeah. do you know what I mean? I, I can't. The course didn't take in. Did it take in sweeping? Like even the course in Hawaii, you get these dramatic vistas yeah. of yeah. the of the ocean. And did did it? Did I miss the good bits or not? I think you find the Bahamas is a really low lying. Like we saw it with those hurricanes coming through, how Mm. a lot of those islands in that vicinity just got absolutely swamped. Whereas Hawaii or Fiji has actually got a bit of, you know, elevation behind the the coastline um, to provide that maybe the soil even to do that without the sand. It's not a pretty place. 
Is what's bizarre about it that it's sponsored by a motorcycle company in India that doesn't <laughs> even sell motorcycles in America? It's very odd. <laughs> it's very odd. Um, mind, you, you, the, mind you, the TV ratings were off the charts. Yeah, oh. yeah, crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. You have to go in a minute because you've got a very important – so there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about yeah. before you go. Dylan Fratelli wins – was it the Mauritius Open yeah. at the yeah. same time? Yeah. Um, it, was he – now, what was he – was he using a compass to He's check where the wind was compass, from? which I always assumed was illegal, but I was clearly not, but – He's using a compass to see where. Uh, don't you just put your hand in your finger and lick well, your finger and stick used, in the air? The old days they used to use the cigarettes to hold the oh, cigarette right. up. You can see where, the, see where the smoke was blowing. But you know where the wind's coming from, don't you? you Why would, do you need you a would, compass for that? Well, these guys can't get around without a green. I mean, I, I saw one guy that was in Queensland. I think walked walked under a green. He, you know, as as we see often now, pulled the you know he just reached for the yardage book and pulled it, opened the book and started reading the green off his book. I mean. It's I mean, the world's gone mad. It's seriously gone. It's, it, something's got to be done about it. Surely you can't be... Well, you were using the compass oh, the and day was trying like, to get back onto the oh, floor. Oh, no, well, that that was the, the worst thing about... You know, we've been... Shackleford and I have been bitching about backboarding for a while now. These guys leaving balls around oh, the whole of the other guys. That was the worst ever with Daniel Berger and Patrick Reed. Patrick Berger was off the front of the seventh green, I think it was. And Reed had, Reed's ball was a foot short of the hole, almost dead in line, but not quite. He left the ball there while Berger putted and missed the ball by an inch and went I, in the hole. Th- it was a foot short of the hole. It was just, sorry, but that's flat out cheating. I mean, technically, the players have to agree to collude to leave a ball by the hole. And, and, and if the committee determines that they've both colluded, then they're both disqualified. But they're riding an awfully fine line now, and, and it's... It, it's going to stop because the RNA are onto it. But that that was the most egregious oh. example of cheating I've ever seen in, in, on, a, on a tournament that that wasn't cheating, but so close to it that I feel like you're, you're losing. Laugh, I feel like you're losing the battle on no, this no, one. No, no, no. Do you think you're going to win it or yeah, not? Yeah, absolutely. I thought Grades was going to blow a puffer valve on the on the oh, PGA yeah. oh, Championship coverage. Yeah, he he was, meant, so I mean, the RNA will look at that tape and go, "No, we're going to write a rule to stop that." Because that, I mean, sh- yeah, and they're going to argue we're speeding up play like Lucas Herbert does. It's like. Uh, you know, as Huggy said to someone the other day, he said, well, that's the only instance in the game where the modern professional is doing anything to speed up play. Every, <laughs> every other single thing they do is slowing the game down. But the only thing they're doing to speed up play is coincidentally when there's a ball around the hole that might help them. Um, it's just a farce. So and, let's, and of course, it's not that the balls, it's not that they hit each other very often. It's the fact that it might. Yeah. And, and they're thinking, yeah. I'll leave that ball there because it might help me. Well, I mean, seriously? I mean, yeah, no, yeah. One, no one until this generation has played the game that way. No one ever. But, the, yeah. but that was the most egregious example I'd seen ever was Reed and Berger in, in Bahamas. Was it? it wasn't good. It was yeah, bad. It was horrific. There's another, there's another issue that's right. Oh, no, it's kind of in your wheelhouse, but um, there's a thing happening in Australia where we're losing our city public yep, golf yep. courses. Uh, and the, the latest is Albert Park, which is a bit iconic, uh, you know, on the lake there in a Melbourne. Uh, is this inevitable? I mean, is this just well, what's going to happen? I don't, I'm not sure it's going to happen. It's been floated, whether, whether it's definite or who knows. And, mm. But Darius Oliver, I know, who's right through his Planet Golf website, a very astute judge of what's happening in Australia, is very much against losing any public golf. And it's happened in Sydney, happened at Birdswood in Perth. Albert Park's the first threat here in Melbourne. I'm slightly of a different view to Darius that fine if you want to, Take public some public golf for a park or for sports fields uh, yep, or for yep. other uh, yep. whatever else you want to take it for because it's a big chunk of land. It's probably 
You know, the golf course is probably 80 acres right in the middle of Melbourne, pretty much. It's fine if you want to take some of it, but you better invest in the rest to make it better. Mm. So Albert Park is not... Well, Sandringham's the best public course in Melbourne by a long way, and it's rated the 99th best public access course in Australia. So public golf's changed massively in the last 20 years. The Dunes, 13th, the Dunes St Andrews Beach, and the courses at Barnboogle and Cape Wickham. We've mm. now got, I think the next rankings come out, I think there are six of the top, four of the top six courses in Australia, golf courses in Australia, are public courses in Tasmania. So public, yeah, pu- so public golf is, the face of public golf has changed. So my view is if, you, if you're going to take golf away from a place like Albert Park, you better invest in what's left and make it much better. Mm. So I think you could build a great nine-hole course at Albert Park. Now, whether the people who play it appreciate great architecture is another thing because it's just, it's just a rudimentary golf course for people to start out and play golf and it's been incredibly popular forever. But if you're going to take some of it, you better invest some in, yeah. in, in what's left would be my view. No surprise with those stats. That were fascinating. I didn't realize that until Clay said that about the four out of the top six. Amazing, yeah. But no surprise that that is on the cheapest land in Australia, Tasmania. Oh, it's just a real estate value thing. I mean, it has to be. So there's got to be people making money on this stuff, and I agree with Clates. We need to make sure, the game needs to make sure that it's reinvested the right way. Mm. We'll yeah. get a, any final words on that? You no, no, it's just, it. yeah, it's fine. And it's happened at a bunch of courses north of the bridge in Sydney. If you're going to take it, you better invest in the rest. Otherwise, you're screwing golf and giving nothing back. We're going to break out of the way here. Don't go anywhere. We started out this journey uh, 29 weeks ago. We caught up with Ryan Ruffles very, very early on in the piece, and he's going to join us when we come back. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, Broad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. G'day, my name's Bob Shearer, the 1982 Australian Open champ. When you're listening on the radio, listen to the ropes for all the news and scoops coming up. So, look, we started the year talking to a young boy by the name of Ryan Ruffles, uh, whose name is well known to all Australian golf fans, and it just felt right as we're winding up season two, season one and the year of 2017 here on Inside the Ropes that we catch up with the young fella again. It's been a great couple of weeks for young Australian golfers, as we've already mentioned off the top, with a couple of 20-somethings winning the two big tournaments over here, and uh, we'll find out how this young fella's... Uh, Travels are playing out as he joins us again on Inside the Ropes. Ryan Ruffles, great to have you on the show again, mate. No, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, good to be back on the show. Now, we'll talk about your year in general and in broad terms um, in a moment, but how much notice have you been taking um, of what uh, the Camerons have been doing over in Australia in the last couple of weeks? No, it's been fantastic. Obviously, Cam Smith, I've spent a bit of time with over here. Uh, this year, and he's doing incredible things, and he's really coming into his own um, and made a name for himself all over the world this year, which has been fantastic. And uh, Cam Davis, who I've played a bunch of amateur golf with as well, um, to see him probably struggle for most of the year and then sort of out of nowhere um, 
come up and win the Australian Open was just, I mean, it's amazing. And to see even Lucas Herbert, who I've played a lot of golf with, um, do some great things in all the events too. It's, uh, yeah, it's a real credit, I think, to Golf Australia. And I think, um, I think you're going to see a little bit more of that coming up. Ryan, I know that you want to be back here and playing these events and, and your world's taking you in a different zone, but it must gut you to be sort of plodding around, you know, Argentina and, and Brazil, as exotic as that sounds, when the big Australian events are on. And, and we'll talk about your season in a second, but does, does that really hurt when you don't get the chance to come home yet? I'm sure it'll change in a couple of years. Yeah, very much so. It's Because um, it's, I've been able, not only that, but because I've been able to play Australian Opens at these courses and masters and pgas and so i know the course as well i know the tournaments well i know exactly what i'm missing out on um so it's yeah it's definitely disappointing but um yeah it's what you got to do at um this point in your career it'll be a lot of fun as soon as i do get to get back and um yeah i'm really looking forward to that which brings us to your current form mate and and uh you know it was a fantastic end i know that you probably would have wanted it a little earlier than the fourth round but the shell championship the season finale on the latino america tour Really, it, it sort of demonstrated, you know, that your game's still right there, isn't it? And it was a great finish. You didn't quite make the top five that you were gunning for, but a really solid finish on the order of merit. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a year full of learning experiences for me. It was um, a lot of things that I probably, if I had again, I would do very, very differently. Um, and you can't really learn those things without going through them yourself. And um, yeah, I lost a little bit of form throughout the middle of the year and something that hasn't happened to me before. I've always played, I've just sort of played well all the time um, for a long time. And to sort of lose a bit of form and try and work my way back out of that was trickier than I thought it would be um, because when you're younger, you sort of feel invincible and um, like that's never going to happen to you. And yeah, I definitely lost it and I went through some changes and um, came out the other side. And it's really cool when you, start to feel like you come out that other side and feel like you own uh, all the parts of the game a little bit better. And um, for me, the biggest, I guess, regret, I guess, this, this season is that I didn't put my focus um, on either my PGA Tour starts or the Latin America. I kind of um, sort of screwed myself on both ends by taking invites, having to miss events in Latin America. I only got to play 10 out of 19 events in Latin America, which sort of made... Uh, put me behind the eight ball a little bit there and then my PGA Tour events weren't quite as prepared either because I was sometimes coming from South America um, it, it's hard to it's a hard position to be in because any chance you get on the main tour I know I'm good enough to potentially compete out there so you never want to knock back a start but in hindsight um, putting my focus into one or the other would have been really really good and something that I'm definitely going to do next year I was going to say, Ryan, I saw that, I mean, everyone who made the top five played, I think, 17 tournaments or 18 tournaments, and you played 10 or 11, so, and you were, what, 20,000 short? So it seems like, yeah, I, think, I yeah. mean, so so next year is the, I mean, it would seem to me the plan ought to be to play Latin America until you make whatever you need to make, 70,000 or whatever it is, to guarantee your, where, your place at the end of next year. But going back and forth is always a trap, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You can't. You can't do it. As much as you want to do it, and you know it could have worked out. You know, I get hot one event, win one, and hmm. all of a sudden you're a genius and um, whatever. But it's definitely the plan next year is to make sure you play all of those events down in Latin America. Make sure I do what I need to do down there. And hey, if I pop an invite here or maybe Monday qualify for an event there in 
fantastic. But as long as that doesn't get in the way of um, my plan for the year, which is to nut out to Latin America and make sure that I get in that top five. Because the events that I did play down there, I played quite well. Um, I just didn't get to play enough of them in the end, which was uh, disappointing. But uh, it is what it is, and that's part of the fun. And I guess being 19, doing all this, is that next year I'm still not, I'm still not old, so I've got a bit of time to learn. <laughs> You're far from old, mate. You're far, so far away from being old. You're much closer to being young than you are to being. In fact, you you are young, so don't lose any patience, please. Whatever you whatever you're going through. Of course not. Of course, mate. What what do you? When did that realization dawn upon you that you were potentially doing the wrong thing? Is it something that happened in a in a blaze, or is it something that sort of dripped into your sort of psyche over the year? Well, it sort of became any time that the way I was approaching it, sort of towards the start of the year, was really really good. Um, every time I played a PGA Tour event, I, I was sort of focusing well there. And when I went down to Latin America, it was sort of the pressure was off. I went out and had a free like a free run at it, played really well. And then sort of towards the end of the season, when I started to run out of events on Latin America um, and stuff, and then Latin America didn't anymore become, oh, this is this is like, I can loosen up out here, I can have a bit of a crack. It became, okay, I've got to do this, got to do this. And it was a change of mindset, and, that, and I'm looking at that going, um, well, that's not how I was playing well before on either tour. And, um, yeah, and that's where it sort of hit me that, okay, right, we need to, um, next year, if we don't get it done this year, we need to be pretty um, pretty focused on one or the other. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing a full season somewhere, making sure that I can get through that because, um, yeah, it, it, you're more prepared for web.com tour once you've earned your way under the web.com tour and you're more prepared for the PGA tour once you've earned your way to the web.com tour. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So two steps back to go three steps forward in the future, basically? Pretty much. I think that's that's probably a good way to put it. And um, probably I had a few changes sort of go on to my team and stuff a little bit too throughout the year and, um, everything now is in a really, really good spot and I'm super happy with everything. Um, even living over here with Curtis and stuff has been a bunch of fun. So um, yeah, everything's trending really nicely and it's sort of disappointing because I, my game started to trend really nicely these last couple of events and I sort of just ran out of events. Um, and that sucks, but I know I'm doing the right things and um, next year I think will be a lot of fun. Do you blame anyone for the advice, mate, or is it just something you just live and learn? No, no, not at all. You just live and learn. You got to. I mean, it's a hard one, like I said, because Bud Martin, who's my manager, he's doing all the right things. I mean, he's done an incredible job being able to get as many invites as he has. Um, and to you can't. It's such a tough position because I nearly did in Canada this year um, what I was trying to do, and you never know. You knock one out in Canada, and all of a sudden your life changes a bit. So it's hard to knock back a start like that, but in the same breath sort of give or take at some point um, you got to have to and um, and like I said it's just one of those things that part of the reason in turning pro early is that hey if I learn these lessons now when I'm 18, 19 I'm a lot better off than if I learn these lessons when I'm 23, 24 um, and I think it's been really really cool and to now have a, maybe about a year and I guess eight months doing this as a professional um, to really sort of nut out what my path is going to be to the PGA Tour and how I'm going to get there is um, I'm probably a lot clearer now than when I turned pro and it was kind of just a bit of a, a dream as opposed to um, 
knowing exactly how I was going to do it. Ryan, you've got to have people around you, obviously, right? And this is a conversation we've been having on this podcast for a while, so I'll ask you because you're living it. If you didn't have a traditional golf manager, a Bud Martin-type manager, could how would that affect what you're doing? Could you could you still could I, you see yourself getting to where you want to go as a player without a manager like Bud? It makes it. You can definitely still do it. It makes it a lot harder though. Um, I think some of the experiences that I've been able to have um, as an amateur and a professional now uh, playing on that main stage, whether I got through them or not, holds me in a lot better stead for when I do get there. And not only that, the funding that I'm able that is able to get put behind me because of contracts and stuff, but I've been able to negotiate. Um, it just puts you in a really good spot and a nice platform to start from. It doesn't necessarily guarantee success, and it doesn't mean that somebody who doesn't have that can't be successful, but it gives you a really nice pedestal to start on um, and a little bit of a head start. And um, but yeah, by no means do. If you don't have that, can you not be successful? But it helps a lot, and he's been not only that, but he's been a big influence just on me personally being around the game for a long time um, and seeing the Jason Days, the Leishmans, the, and how they battled through tough times, good times, and to end up where they are now. And um, all of that sort of comes together pretty nicely, and um, yeah, it can help out someone like me a lot. I want to swerve a bit. You, did you play the tournament at the Jockey Club in Argentina? Yeah, I did. What a fantastic course. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to ask you. Bruce Devlin and David Graham won the World Cup there in 1970, and it's Mackenzie's kind of one great course in South America. I always wondered what it was like. So can you run us through? Absolutely. What, what, yeah, absolutely. What, you know, if it was similar to what we have of, of Mackenzie's work in Australia or it was different or how was it really? Yeah, but, uh, it, I mean, Definitely some differences, um, but a lot of similarities to a lot of the greens. It was nice to play a course that didn't have rough two feet off the edge of the green. It was rough, the greens ran off into collection areas, ran off the greens, and it was all tight lies around the fairways. And having bunkers that cut into the greens as well, and um, always having big wide fairways, but parts of fairways that were no good to attack the greens and pins from. And um, so really. And like having some true fairways was nice. They didn't have the right grass on the greens, which made it tricky. It played real. The greens played really soft. All the surrounds played very firm, um, which was uh, a bit disappointing. But other than that, yeah, I mean, just being able to play shots that I'm used to playing back home in Australia, where you're not just hitting three irons in the par fives, and they can be coming in hot, but they end up two feet off the green because it gets caught up in rough. Um, where shots that are a little bit off with wedges and with um, chips and everything run off the greens quite considerably and um, you've got to really think your way around the golf course. So that was a lot of fun to play a McKenzie course again, which, because you don't really, for me, you don't play that much unless I'm back home in Australia. It was funny, I was playing with Finchie yesterday at Kingston Heath and we were talking about the influence of Augusta and most people perceive that influence to be negative in terms of ultra green, ultra perfect conditions, ultra white sand. But the amazing thing about Augusta is it has no influence in America in terms of short grass around the greens. Mm. I mean, certainly not on the tour. Mm. So, so people say, well, Augusta has a big influence. I would say Augusta has almost zero influence on, on normal American clubs that just insist on growing long grass around the greens. It's bizarre to me. Yeah, I mean, I think to be honest, it makes it makes it more playable having 
no rough around the greens. I reckon it makes it more playable for the average golfer and a lot harder for the good golfer um, because it takes it gives the average golfer the the choice of the putter or the scrape shuttle on the ground, but makes it very very hard for the professional golfer to get up and down because you're obviously further from the hole. It's trickier. It's firmer. Uh, it's harder to get the ball closer. So I think I mean looking at some of these classic McKenzie designs uh, and that one in particular. Um, it's I I prefer that sort of golf. The course doesn't have to be. I mean, the scores that week were very very high or tough, um, and the course was not very long. I had a lot of wedges into greens. Um, fairways were nice and wide, and that wasn't the challenge that week. It was um, very much being in the proper side of fairways, being being the proper side of greens, and then attack even with the putter. Um, and that's something you don't get so much in the U.S. and that when you do, it's, it's a nice change. Yeah. All right, mate, we need to get away from golf and we need to find out what life is like in the Luck Ruffles household in Florida. <laughs> we would need the inside word, mate. <laughs> oh, mate, it's a lot of fun. You've got a, <laughs> you've got a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old living over here in the U.S. Um, yeah, we're uh, not too far from the University of Florida. Um <laughs> No, yeah, we, we have a bit of fun. Curtis is 21st is back in July, and so we had a bit of a party for him. And, and you know, just even daily stuff. We've, we miss good coffee over here. Um, so we're always on the hunt for good coffee places around Orlando. And um, we've got pretty good ritual where we found a place and we get some coffee in the morning and practice and gym and all that good stuff. And then... Um, yeah, it's, it's just been it's been really healthy, really good. I haven't seen him in a few months. He's been over there, um, so I've been sort of on my own over here for a few months. But he's back pretty soon, and um, we'll continue on doing what we do. Any abuse of the accent? Any abuse of the accent? Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, do you still like? Definitely. You're, you're you're obviously you know like we watch a lot of American sport over here on on our tallies, but obviously we watch a lot of Australian sport as well. Have you been kind of completely indoctrinated now? Are you more NBA, NFL, college sport, or do you still find a way in the middle of your routine to catch up with, you know, NRL, AFL, spring carnivals, whatever it might be that um, presses your buttons back home? Oh, he's a pies boy, Andy. What do you say? Do you, how many how many Collingwood games, for example, did you get to see this year? Yeah, I got to see quite a few. I mean, I can't stay away from the AFL because my caddy this year was a Richmond supporter, so um, <laughs> I sort of I get pretty in the loop with all of that so you know I definitely keep up with my Aussie sports I'm, I've never been a big NRL or rugby guy at all um, but I've been keeping up with the AFL quite a bit I, I try to get into the American sports a little bit I'm not that into them I've been to a few magic games here because uh, the club has some courtside tickets and Curtis and I have gone to a few games um, and it's they're fantastic the spectacle over here is that's that's half of it it's not just the game it's the whole spectacle they've got around it it's like a theatre production um but, yeah, try and keep up with my sports as much as possible, keeping up with the Ashes at the moment. So, um, yeah, you know, as much as I can, try and keep, stay in the loop because if I not, I get grilled by my mates back home. Good on you. Um, last one from me. I don't know whether the other boys have got anything, but if I asked you for a highlight, a personal highlight for you from 2017, you know, we started doing this podcast about 30 weeks ago and, you're one, as we said at the start, you are one of our one of our first really special guests on the show, and we follow your career really closely back here. If I asked you for a highlight from the year, from your own personal perspective, what 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 would jump out at you? For me, probably the Canadian Open this year was um, 
that was one of the coolest experiences I've been through um, as a professional. Anyway, to be able to uh, be in contention on a Sunday of a PJ Tour event, I played on that second last group on Sunday and didn't obviously play the way I wanted to at all on that Sunday. Um, but just that experience of feeling that, seeing the sort of what goes on on a Sunday late in the afternoon and how the course plays, how the gallery is. And, um, you know, that experience is, is just something money can't buy and something that you can learn a lot from. And just that sort of that feeling inside you to be shoot 14 under for the first three rounds and to be right there um, and to, yeah, to play amongst those leading groups is something that uh, is going to hold me in great stead, but with just hell of a lot of fun to do at the time. So, so let me ask you, that's a, I was hoping you might say that because you have the experience you have in the last round. Do you learn more from shooting 14 under in the first three rounds or do you take more from what happened to you on the Sunday? What, 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 what do you learn more, actually, that's gonna, you think is going to hold you instead down the track? What do, you, what do you take more away from? I think people always say you learn a lot from your disappointments and that's true to a sense, but I learned a lot more that week than the first three. Um, because it's not easy to back up one round on the PJ Tour with another good one, and then not only that, to do it again. Um, and to play with, I played with Charlie Hoffman on the third round in a two-ball, um, and to play with him, and he lost in a playoff that week, but he sort of took control of the tournament on Saturday, um, and to be able to really stick it with him for most of the round, and I shot four and he shot six that day, um, so he got me, but to be able to really stick it with him, and who's obviously, he's obviously a very, very quality player, top 20 in the world, and he's won a bunch of tournaments. To be able to be there on Saturday, so I'm on the weekend, a bit nervous, to be able to stick it with him on Saturday um, and really push myself up into the mix on Sunday, I took a lot out of personally. Um, and, yeah, I didn't quite do it on Sunday, but to, for me to feel like I, did, I was able to do it on Saturday, it's gives me good confidence when I get there again. I'm going to know a lot more about uh, how to handle myself and um, I'm hopefully be able to do it the same thing I did on Saturday on Sunday. Ryan, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us as you always have and you're always very great with your time. But I, I, it's more of a statement rather than a question. But I think it's important for all our listeners to realise that you know we do follow everyone around the world. We do our best to actually pieced everything together here uh, and even if we don't get to you very often it's something that you know as Andy says we're, we're we're in your corner and we're watching what you're doing even if it's in you know Ecuador or wherever it is so keep up the fight mate everyone's in your corner and uh, we, we can't wait to see you on a more I guess uh, television friendly stage soon that's right yeah thank you guys I appreciate it yeah I know you guys are always watching and um, yeah no, it means a lot and even you guys text me to come on the show. I really appreciate that, and it's nice to nice to chat to you guys. And um, anytime, anytime. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Visit swingfit.com.au. Peter Senior here. Really enjoy listening inside the rope. Guys have always got something very interesting to talk about. Hope you enjoyed the program. Great to have Ryan Ruffles on the show again, Hazy. Clates is uh, departing.
harder now for uh, greener pastures. Literally, he's got a golf date with a couple of luminaries, Suo and uh, Ian Baker Finch, principal among them. I can't so, believe he'd ditch us for them. I, I'd be ditching you for them. <laughs> Hand on that. I'd ditch uh, myself for them if I could. Yeah. Um, just a quick word on Ryan. You, you made a point at the end of letting him know that um, you know we are watching and we are interested and we know what he's doing. Why, why did you do that? Yeah, I didn't want to make it sound like, you know, it was either condescending or, or, you know, wrapping him up too much. But I think he's in playing in just about the furthest flung part of professional golf in the world. I mean, maybe you go and play the MENA tour, the Middle East, North African sort of thing, but not many do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for someone who's on the in the collective psyche of Australian golf fans, to be plowing away through, you know, Peru and Bolivia and these sort of places... It's so far off the grid, and he's and if things don't go well, as we've seen a couple of other guys down there, uh, Ryan McCarthy, for example, previously, yep. you know, it you're a long way from anywhere in all senses, in terms of cards, of progression to tours, in terms of you know emergencies or whatever. So, I actually just wanted to let him know that you know we were watching, and you know you're not you're not completely forgotten, no matter where you get to here. It's uh, you know one of those. Things where if you're plotting away and not making money in Argentina or you know Uruguay, you could easily slip off the radar, and, and he's too important to us for that. Particularly for a player like him who knows that he's, without saying this in a cocky, arrogant way, he knows he's better than that tour. So, well, he believes he is, and we all think he is. Yes. So you can't spend too much time down there, but you've got to stay patient. You can't look, you can't, Get too far ahead of yourself and get panicked by the fact that you haven't escaped, in inverted commas, mm. to, to one of yours. Um, <laughs> you haven't escaped it sooner rather than later because it, th- this is a tough game. Like There's a lot of good players around and I know he wants to be playing and probably feels like he's good enough to be playing on the PGA Tour now. Mm. But you've got, to do, you've got to do your time and you've got to do the hard yards. And as much as he knows that he's capable of better things and bigger things, uh, I hope he doesn't get too frustrated by his inability to make it happen sooner rather than later. To me, I was really uh, impressed and relieved almost to hear him say, you know, he's prepared to go and do it again. Yeah. I I think that's critical because, you you know, we've we've talked about the cams already and they've uh, they've done yards on on different tours. Even Cam Davis has been out of sight on the McKenzie Tour in Canada, but he, he... even without success, he's played it and he's understood the rigors of it. Um, don't think we under appreciate really the difficulties of flipping between the PGA Tour and then some event in Argentina, like Ryan was oh, saying. God, no. It'd be very no. tough. And I, I just, I know that he's spoken the praises there of Bud Martin, and, and you know you cannot, as an eighteen-year-old, turn your back on you know seven or eight starts on the US PGA Tour. That's monumental. But by the same token. I think he's realised, as he, as he said himself, and I'm still young enough, and he's only 19, I'm still young enough to have realised that, you know, in some ways the error of my ways, mm. um, I need to go and progress and, and be willing to not start my hopefully golden run at the big picture events until I'm 21, 22. And if he can, if he can, make, if he can make it into the top five next year on the Latino America Tour, progress to the web.com that way, uh, even if he takes a couple of years to get to uh, the US PGA Tour from there, he's still going to be 21 or 22. Oh, I mean, baby. he's got oh, the world at his feet, and, and we don't want to rush him there because, you know, he's still learning. So uh, 
that's Ryan Ruffles. Uh, there's a couple of bits and pieces before we wrap up. Uh, it, it's the time of players securing jobs for next yeah. year. and you know, when, Depending on when you're listening to this, Cam Davis is trying to do that on final stage of Webb. Um, with this, for the men and the women, there's been some great news uh, in the last kind of um, four or five or six or seven days. Yeah, uh, and one of my favourites is Rebecca Artis. Yes. So we might start there if that's right. And, you know, we'd sort of been hoping, and we didn't want to bring it up, we'd been hoping that she might pick up the phone. But right now, as we're recording this, it's uh, quarter to midday on Thursday morning, uh, Melbourne time. Yep. And she's asleep in Dubai, and she's got a tea time this later her morning this morning in the Dubai Ladies Classic, I think it's called, on the last event on the LET Tour for the year. Uh, and that's been really important to her, that tour, for a long time. A dual winner, uh, a ripping young lady from yeah. Coonabarabran in, uh, I don't even know what you call it, but probably central New South Wales. That's a great part of the world. Good pub in Coonabarabran. Best clock tower you see going around too, Andy. Uh, but anyway, we probably digress a little there yes. um, she basically doesn't have to go back to LET next year because she's done a, a tremendous achievement a fulfilled a tremendous goal um, to make the LPGA Tour so she's gone through the five rounds the gruelling five rounds of the final stage she came through Q2 as well before she got to the final stage uh, and Rebecca Artis has got a full card for the Great. LPGA Tour Fantastic. for next year and looks like we're probably not going to quite get her this morning on the podcast I hope you still listen to this Beck. we're really proud of you uh, couldn't happen to a nicer girl. And her husband, Jeff's a complete lunatic on the bag. Uh, and they've done the hard yards this year. Um, we, we mentioned it in a podcast recently, the, the kilometres they'd undertaken. Um, this one today in Dubai is to make sure she had the minimum number of LET starts. She's done that. She'll have status there if she needs to, but let's hope she doesn't need to and she makes a mozza on the LPGA next yeah. year. So that's the women's side. Um, I was rapt to see Anthony Quayle join a couple of his countrymen up in Japan. Uh, that's just a good story. That's, that's not necessarily a name that is going to be front and centre. No. Uh, even for a lot of part, people who you know follow the game of golf and love the game of golf, but that's just a good story. Three great names up there that aren't front and centre, as you say. Um, let's start there. Anthony Quayle was good enough to be one of the six who represented Australia at the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship um, in 2016. Mm. Um, so a highly thought-of amateur, but turned without the fanfare of some of, the, some of his peers. Um, and he's had a really good year on the Australasian PGA Tour. Um, I think capped probably by two top 20 finishes, a 14th and a 19th in New South Wales and Australia. But he's actually had some top 10s as well in, in the, um, the lower tier events. Uh, really nice, solid, professional start for him in his rookie campaign. But around in a six-round event in Japan, <laughs> he's never further away than probably fifth or sixth on the leaderboard the whole way. Finished fourth, got his card, a full card. That'll get him pretty much full status except for the Japanese majors. Mm. Uh, a, a huge achievement for a young guy from the Northern Territory originally based on the Gold Coast and a nicer guy you won't meet. So good on you, Quayley. Um, more kudos from us. And you've been joined by two names that are, you know, just left field. Aaron Wilkins done a, you know, a fantastic effort to get there. I think he was 23rd. But a name that if you rack your brain, Andy, you'll find Andrew Evans and you'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that. That's a great story. I'm so happy for him. Yeah. He came. He was the bloke. Do you remember the? You remember the days at at Huntingdale? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he was the guy who came out of the pro shop in Sydney and pushed Peter Senior to the brink yep, the in the last way. time he won yep. the gold jacket at Huntingdale, and everyone thought, "Oh, who's this bloke? Jizzy mm. plays well," and then poof, he's gone. Mm. 
And we hadn't heard another peep out of him. I just assumed he was selling Mars bars again, to be honest. And here he is. He finished 16th in Japan, gets a lot of status on the big tour. Uh, so three guys joining the guys who have already held their cards, um, Blandy and Griffo, etc. So huge, huge achievement up there by those three guys. And, and again, kudos. Hey, couldn't agree with you more. G'day. I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment, and just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Hi, my name is Soria Yu, who play at the LPGA Tour, and I love Vegemite, but I love Cedro more than Vegemite. From a tournament perspective uh, on domestic soil, um, the women's got a boost uh, late this week. Again, it's nearly midday Thursday at Point of Twin, so you probably know this by now, but isn't it great that one of our absolute favourites on this podcast is going to be down here in the new year. I'm excited about this. and um, I know you are. And, and, <laughs> and Clayton, Have your Vegemite at the ready. Yeah, we promised. Uh, it probably started back right in this very studio, Andy. Yeah, we, we're going to claim it anyhow. Why yeah, wouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, so Yon Yu is uh, coming back to play the Australian Open, Women's Australian Open um, at Kuyonga in February next year. Great announcement uh, that I know the ISPS handler was thrilled when they, you know, the title sponsor of the event, when when she signed because, you know, she's such a popular player around the world and she really helped spread their message. So going to be uh, taking a bit of Vegemite over to pay our debts, Andy, great, shoving right? a big tub of it in a locker at Kuyonga, but we're thrilled that the person who was, I wouldn't say the dominant force, but one of the key players anyhow and number one for probably half the year on the LPGA Tour this year or the Rolex World Rankings, uh, is signed up to play. That's on top of Hana Jang and some other big announcements coming up in the weeks to come. That's great. And we'd like seeing world-class players in Australia. You know, we for we understand why we don't. We've spoken enough about that, particularly in the last few weeks on the podcast. But Metro gets the World Cup next year. Great course, great quality players, great event. Um it's just something to put in the calendar and look forward to. Yeah, and I'm not claiming any knowledge of any of this at all because mm. clearly I would have probably tried to leak a little bit of it to you guys if I could. But uh, um, the problem, the vexing problem of no championship golf in Melbourne mm. has been, I wouldn't say eradicated because clearly we need an annual tournament if it's at all possible um, for, for, for most of our major cities if, it, if it's possible. Um, but we've gone from nothing to having... The President's Cup in 2019, mm. then the two Australian Opens in 2020 and 2022, and now the World Cup in, in Victoria in 2018. So we've got four of the next five years covered for Victorian listeners of this. Uh, and that promises to be a huge event next year. So what's happened is the Australian Open has moved forward a week, uh, still being played at the Lakes. So that'll be, um, I'm, forgetting the, I'm forgetting the dates right we now. We won't hold you to that. It'll yeah, be yeah. like around the 20th of November, maybe a day or so earlier. Then the World Cup at Metro, um, which hasn't seen a... a thing like this since the WGC, which apparently we used to be able to hold WGCs, Andy, but I don't want to start ranting no, no, this late in the no, podcast. No, 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 be happy. And then up to Royal Pines for the third week in a row of great world-class golf in Australia next summer. So that's a huge boon for everyone. And it's obvious you hope there's a bit of, you know, filter either side of the World Cup, don't you? You hope that you yeah. get, you know, a couple of them getting out here early to, 
at least acclimatise themselves with Australian conditions and then you get a couple at the end. Wouldn't it be nice if a whole bunch of them decided to play for three weeks here? And obviously that'll be the aim of all organisers to try and encourage people to come down here for a month and, you know, have a go. Yeah, the one hiccup there is um, potentially the Australian Open falling on the date of the Race to Dubai final. Um, So we might miss out seeing the key European players at the Australian Open, but... The flip side is that people like Graham McDowell and others have already expressed their desire to come back and represent their country and mm. especially to play at the Sandbelt. So if we can get them from the Sandbelt up to the Gold Coast, I reckon that's got to sound like a pretty good way to finish their Sounds year. Sounds like a pretty good way to finish the podcast. Me, anything else you want to put on the agenda? One yep. last one. We, yep. I, and it's been remiss to me, and I, he's the sharpest dressed bloke you'll see on a golfing tour, and he's Bryden McPherson. Oh, yes. And I, I for some reason, I've been um, remiss in mentioning his achievements this year because he was off the grid mm-hmm. a fair bit, to be honest, the last couple of years. I reckon he'd say the same thing. I love watching him play. Too good a player to be off the grid. Yeah, and so... and. Just an absolute fashionista. Oh, yes. He's a very debonair young man. Sharp operator. Lost a playoff in the final event of the China Tour event this year, uh, this last weekend just gone. So great effort there. Uh, Came from three or four back in the final six or seven holes to force a playoff and then watched his Chinese opponent make a putt to beat him in the playoff, which was obviously hard luck. But the second part of that was, had he won, he would have won the Order of Merit too, uh, but he finished second on the Order of Merit. So two runner-up finishes for Bryden McPherson, and more than a little golf clap, mate. That's a great achievement, and it's so good to be able to wrap this section of the podcast up, Andy, with so many you know, wonderful things for people who don't often get the kudos they deserve. Here, here. Uh, and it just underlines yet again that, it's a country that just punches way above its weight. You know, there's some fantastic female and male representatives. Every corner of the globe, there's Australians out there who are you know, competing uh, and looking to take their game to the next level. And it's um, terrific to be able to recognise some, hopefully most of them, at some stage on the way through on a show like this. So, yeah, yeah. And, and also, sorry, it just keeps bobbing into my mind, so I apologise <laughs> for the flow. Uh, I know you're all about the flow and I've got Never about here. the flow. Never about the flow. <laughs> Um, the Queens, which is a, a, a team tournament the ALPG competed in against the Korean LPGA, Japanese LPGA, and the LET. Um, started off wobbly uh, against the might of the... Well, it's actually a really interesting, quirky format. You're playing against everyone, but Korea sort of knocked everyone into submission day one, which left us in a bit of a hole. Nearly got into the final against Korea, but had to contend ourselves with uh, the third, fourth playoff, and we beat the Europeans, which I think is a great achievement for our squad, led by Kari Webb. Uh, well done, girls. <laughs> it sounds like a pretty good note to finish it on, Hazy. Um, there's a bit of housekeeping we should knock over before we finish up. We've got a few bits and pieces we should um, we just should tick off. Yeah, and as always, our delightful friend Greg Oakford's put these in about three points, so my eyes are really <laughs> going to struggle in this light. Andy, Let me know if you those. need a hand, because I've got it covered. Thank you. I need a magnifying glass. Right. Um, we've up to 75, 71 five-star reviews, uh, which is phenomenal, and we're really grateful for all our listeners um, for their support over the first 29 episodes of this uh, podcast uh, and special mention this week to Green Hippo um, and also to uh, Mick O'Toole, I think it is, all in one word. And that's an interesting spelling there, Mick, so I hope I got that okay. Um, from Green Hippo, great podcast with some great guests. Any chance we can get some of Australia's best coaches, for example, Ban or Lynch, on the show and discuss the biggest faults in the amateur game, such as, where are we there, casting, slices and 
Everything in between. Doing I, well here. I hope I can read no, that seriously. Well. Otherwise, love the show and look forward to it to it uh, each week. Thanks for Mick. Well, Mick, we'll do that. Um, Absolutely, we, we love will. we love the coaches and you know Lynchy, for example, is a you know great character and he he'd add greatly to the show. So we'll get him back next year. And the other one was from Mick Atul. Listen to your latest podcast and then went back to episode one. And now I'm fully up to date. Keep up the good work. Well, wow. you've done well. That's, That's outstanding yeah. performance. Yeah. So uh, thanks, well, there, there is going to be one more after this to listen out for. Uh, we'll do a special show next week. Uh, everybody who's contributed to the program uh, from a studio perspective uh, is going to be picking, picking out their favourite bits and pieces from uh, the 2017 version of Inside the Ropes. So you can hear what we consider to be our favourite moments on a special edition next week. And I think we'll be back next year, Andy, bigger and stronger. Is that? Well, I've been sort of intimating that through the show. Oh, we'll but just uh, wait for confirmation of that, Hazy. All right. Well, I'll probably let the cat out of the bag. There, but anyway, <laughs> right. uh, so a special thank you to you know all all who've helped us so far, and, and most importantly, um, probably behind the scenes that people don't realise, Craig Davis, who's the man who got makes very, all this audio sing. I got very excited when I heard we were working with Craig Davis as a Carlton <laughs> supporter. Grew up Craig Davis number nineteen. I thought. That's what's happened to Craig Davis, Buff Davis. It's going to be fantastic working with him, and it wasn't him. And I've never been more disappointed in all my life to meet the Craig Davis we're working with. But he's a hell of a bloke. Barracks for the Collingwood Footy Club, which is a bit disappointing. But other than that, he's a pretty good bloke, really. So no, we couldn't have done it without him. He's made us sound reasonable, which is a phenomenal achievement, <laughs> yes. to be honest. So uh, we like to thank the whole team from RSN nine two seven for their production assistance and just general support, and also Justin Falkner. Oh, he's been a superstar. Uh, yep. He's done. Uh, a lot of things around the social media in particular. I'm not praising Greg Oakford. I've done enough of that. Exactly. Um, if um, Yeah, I think just a huge thanks to everyone behind the scenes. Everyone hears our voices, but it's not us who make it happen. And for you to listen, it'd be pointless doing it. As much as we enjoy each other's company in here, it'd be pointless to do it if there wasn't anybody listening on the other end. So thanks for doing that. That's the end of Ep 29. Uh, hopefully enjoy the best of next week, and we'll catch up again in 2018.